In this edition of Pusology, we welcome radio play-by-play broadcaster for the Indiana Pacers, Mark Boyle. Mark provides great insight into how the sport of basketball has changed since he's covered the Indiana Pacers, his broadcasting methods, and a lot more in this great conversation. Get in touch with the show through Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes and email us at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. We are a member of the OTG Basketball Network. And now, Mark Boyle. We now welcome the radio play-by-play broadcaster for the Indiana Pacers, Mark Boyle. How's it going, Mark? I'm well. How are you guys? Doing pretty well. Thanks for joining us. Um, we have some time just in the off-season, so we usually like this to track down some of the um, most pivotal figures in the game of basketball just to lend their insights into their experience just covering this wonderful game. So very th- thank you very much for joining us. Um, the, the first question I want to ask you, Mark, is – what is your first basketball memory or favorite basketball memory just from your childhood that really got you first into the game of basketball? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know if I actually have one. I, I played basketball from the time I was a little boy, but it was never my favorite sport. I was a baseball guy. Now I played basketball all the way until I started my broadcast career, you know, in high school, junior high, and so forth. Uh, but I wasn't all that good at it, so I don't have very many memories that jump out as to the time I scored 48 points in a regional final or anything like that. Uh, I just enjoyed the game, uh, but it was never my favorite sport. Uh, my career just happened to go in a direction where basketball was where I had opportunities, and so I pursued it. And Mark, I just want to get your insight just through all your experiences, all the moments you've called throughout your career can you kind of track how the game, specifically in the NBA, has evolved from when you first started broadcasting Pacers game to now in terms of just how the players are just, um, you know, in terms of the physical fitness outside of the offseason to how the players take care of their bodies during this season, just in mindset. Uh, what observations do you have just through your broadcasting career and how um, not only just the players on the Pacers, but just the NBA at large in terms of the athletes, how you've seen them just evolve their game over time? Well, 88-89 was my first season, so that's a long time ago in the game at the pro level is a lot different. It's much less physical. Uh, There are rules in play now that didn't even exist then. And the dynamic is different. When I came to the Pacers, we had a head coach, two assistant coaches, and a trainer. And then the players. Uh, Now we have a head coach. I don't even know how many assistant coaches, multiple trainers, strength coaches, equipment guys. Our travel party is enormous. So that's one change. Uh, The other thing that you mentioned is interesting. The the money is so big now that a number of players actually have their own personal trainers. Those guys couldn't afford it back when I started. In fact, uh, the team salary cap when I started was less than the average individual player salary now. So (laughs) these guys were making certainly decent money, but not anything like now. And as a result, uh, they can spend some of that money in an effort to prolong their careers or make themselves more physically fit. Now we provide training for these guys all year round, but a lot of them have their own guys. It's a year round thing now, not that it it wasn't then, but it was a little more informal that guys would play on their own, which they still do. Uh, But the summer league now is enormous. It existed then, but it was, uh, you know, sort of played in a playground, not literally, but comparatively. So there are all kinds of differences. The players are bigger, stronger, and faster. It's not uncommon now to see six, seven guys, six, nine guys handling the ball, 
It's not uncommon to see six eleven guys, seven footers shooting threes. The game has changed dramatically, uh, and in some ways, in my opinion, for the better, and in some ways, not. Can you elaborate on that that last point there? I mean, which which ways do you think are um, I guess better for the sport as a whole, and which ways might be detrimental? If I could ask. Well, I, I think detrimental is the wrong word. It's personal mm. preference, and I, I'm sure. not alone in this. Although I don't know that this is the majority viewpoint, there is increasing concern that the three-point shot has become too dominant, mm. uh, and that the mid-range game is disappearing. Uh, you could make that argument. There have been talk of perhaps extending the three-point arc out further and things of this nature. Things change all the time. Rules change all the time. Uh, I don't know that the average fan doesn't like the way the game has evolved, but I think the hardcore fan, especially the older fan, laments the lack of physicality. Now, if you look back to the 90s, you could make the case that the game was too brutal then. Uh, it was very physical, and the scores were 91 to 86. Uh, I don't even remember when flagrant fouls came into play, but if they were in, in vogue in the 90s, they weren't ever called. You could actually throw a punch at somebody when I came into the league and not get ejected. Uh, now, that's mm -hmm. not good. So when I say the game has changed for better in some ways uh, and in other ways, not so much, it's, it's to me comparable to football in this regard. When I, I'm much older than you guys are. When I grew up watching the National Football League, defense had a chance. If you were a defensive back, you could bump, you could run, you could hit the receiver until the ball was in the air. Now, if you breathe on him when he comes out of the huddle, it's a flag. Every rule change in virtually every sport is designed to help the offense. And mm. these guys are so good now. I wouldn't mind seeing a little hand checking. I wouldn't mind seeing a little more physical play allowed. That's just me, though. Now, the game is certainly higher scoring, which generally speaking, I think appeals to the layman or the casual fan. So you could look at the game, and depending on your perspective, if you played in the league in the 80s, you probably think the players now are soft. Uh, if you were born in 2000, you probably think the game is cool. A lot of it, I think, is generational-based. Uh, but in any endeavor, whether it's sports or anything else, I think you could look at the big picture and say, I like this, but I'm not so keen on that. I, I wouldn't use the word detrimental, though. I think it's just a matter of personal preference. Absolutely. and. It, it kind of felt, at least at the start of this season, um, and I, I wanted to get your thoughts on throughout the season what you thought, but the NBA wanted to make an effort to make the sport a little bit more physical. You know, of course, the rule changes um, uh, in terms of trying to draw personal fouls. You know, famously, I, I think Trey Young and James Harden kind of get the brunt of the blame, but it was happening across the league. Do you feel like the league successfully became a little bit more physical? Maybe a little bit more than it was because those kinds of fouls aren't called anymore. But those happened, I wouldn't say rarely, but they don't happen often enough that it really affects the overall physical nature of the game. It's still really difficult to guard guys with the rules that are in place now, uh, which isn't to say they're bad rules. They're designed to help the offense. Fans like scoring. That's true in every sport. And lest we forget, this isn't just a sport. It's also an entertainment vehicle. Uh, and if we only appealed to hardcore fans, we would struggle. We need to appeal to a broad base of consumers. And so that's one of the reasons why they do this. 
And it is very entertaining. Uh, you know, look at the uh, the abundance of three-point shots. Games are not over now. Uh, not that they ever were, but in an NBA game, typically, uh, back in the day when I came into the league, if you had a 15-point lead with five minutes to go, you were pretty home free. Now you probably will still win, but you're not home free yet. You've got to you've got to play for another two or three minutes because of the three point shot and the number of guys on any given roster that can make that three point shot. Uh, so it does become a little bit more entertaining, depending on your perspective. It's a great sport. I, I think we've seen it uh, grow in popularity enormously over the last generation. It's never going to be the NFL, but what is? But it's surpassed baseball. I think it's fair to say that at least in our country, it's the number two sport out there. Uh, well, maybe number three behind college football, but it, it's very popular. It's increasingly popular television ratings. Uh, you know, it's hard to assess them now with COVID and all of that and, and the way things have played out since then. But I think the league's in a pretty good spot. Mark, I wanted to ask you your philosophy on how your approach um, bringing the best broadcast to the fans at home, just in terms of their experiences listening on on the radio, because at least in my opinion, I think it's almost a more intimate experience compared to watching it on television or on a tablet or on the internet. That's just my opinion. I just think there's like a little bit more of a personal connection to a radio play-by-play announcer compared to a television announcer. That's just that's just me. But what is your philosophy in terms of how you're presenting the game to a listener at home? Well, one of the things I like about our profession is that there's no one way to do it. There are basics, time and score and all of that. But beyond that, it's up to the individual to decide how he or she wants to tailor the broadcast. What I try to do with our broadcasts, if you just tuned it in at random and listened for, say, a quarter, you would be able to tell, I think, or I hope, that it's a pacer broadcast, but... I'm not a big fan of homerism, of blaming the officials for everything. My credibility is my greatest asset. So while I want you to understand or pick up on, yeah, it's a pace of broadcast. We spend more time talking about our guys than their guys. Uh, but depending on the way the game's going, if, if we're on the road somewhere and it's the final seconds and the home team wins the game on the final shot, you're going to hear tremendous excitement from our broadcast because we're there to convey the emotion of the moment or the event as it happens. Now, that's just my way of doing it. I know guys that have done it for 30 years and are very successful. Uh, and when their team loses, it sounds like they're about to cry or commit suicide. It all depends on how you want to do it, what kind of a broadcast you want to have. For me, the number one thing is credibility. I want the guy who listens to my broadcast um, because let's face it, these to a degree are advertising vehicles for our franchise. And so if we do a good broadcast, that helps the team and the franchise look more favorable. And maybe we'll sell a few tickets. I want the guy driving in his car. If I say, boy, the Pacers have really played well the last week or so, I want that guy to say, Boy, Mark doesn't engage in hyperbole. He doesn't really go above and beyond that often. If he says they're playing well, maybe I'll go down and look. Instead of, oh, yeah, he said that when they were 18 and 64, too. So he's, he's got no credibility with me. But understand, guys, what I'm saying. It's a personal matter. 
There's no right way to do it. There are guys who only root, openly root for their teams during their broadcast. If things go wrong, it's the official's fault. And they're enormously popular in certain segments. You will never appeal. This is what I, I decided when I was a young broadcaster. A, I figured out earlier there's no one way to do it. And B, no matter how you do it, you will never, ever appeal to 100% of the listeners. So the way I decided to do it was the way I wanted to hear it. Because with radio, you don't have a picture. You have to rely on me to tell you what's going on. If I say, boy, that was a really hard foul. Or I say, boy, that was a really poorly executed. I need you to believe me because you can't see it. And so that's how I wanted to hear it. I, want, I grew up listening to guys in all the sports. I was lucky. I grew up in Minneapolis. We had Hall of Famers doing baseball. with The twins, Herb Carneal, who's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Al Shavers in the Hockey Hall of Fame. He was the North Stars guy. Ray Christensen was doing the university. He did it for 50 years. I grew up listening to really good broadcasters, and that resonated with me. And that's kind of how I try to do it. I want you to believe what I'm saying, but I do want you to get a feel that it's a Pacer broadcast. Do you get the sense that in choosing that style of broadcasting, and this is not to disparage any other style, but do you get the sense that um, – there's more of a feeling of maybe mutual respect between you and the listeners and in, in that you're not engaging in um, hyperbole or that homerism that, that they can kind of, you know, have great trust in, in what you're saying is uh, as objective as it can possibly be. Well, I hope so, but you never know because you know, here's why if you go out into public, I've been here long enough that I'm recognized with some regularity. Uh, the guy who thinks that you're awful, never comes up and tells you. You hear from him on Twitter. The person <laughs> that comes up to you in person is always telling you, oh man, I love you. I listen to you all the time. The guy who thinks you're awful will almost never approach you. So it's hard to get an accurate gauge. And I'll say one other thing. Uh, and this is just, it's anecdotal. It's my perception. There's no way to document or uh, you know, get any accurate info. But my sense is that as time evolves, when I came into the league, the homers were rare. And one of the reasons for that, I think, is because teams now want you to do it that way. Many teams encourage their broadcasters to do it that way. Uh, I'm not a believer in it, and I've been fortunate enough to work for a franchise that lets me do it the way I think it should be done. When I took this job, I was very young, and it was the first time I ever worked for a team. And I had concerns because, let's face it, in a big picture type of a, of a look, if I'm taking my paycheck from the team that I'm broadcasting games for, that's a definite conflict of interest. It just is. Uh, and so I said to Donnie Walsh, who ran the franchise at the time and ran it for many, many years until he left for the Knicks. Uh, I said, hey, I, I've got a concern here. I told him what I just told you. Credibility is my biggest asset and it's yours too. Um, I've got an issue here. I'm not trying to get you to change the way you do things. I know you're going to pay me and I'm going to be taking my paycheck from the franchise, but it's a conflict of interest. And I need to know that you see the world the same way I do. And this is what he said. to me. He said, as long as you're fair and don't get personal, I don't care what you say. And he was true to that. Larry Bird after that was the same. We have Kevin Pritchard now the same to the extent that I've had any issues. And I haven't, this is a great franchise to work for. But every once in a while, you run into um, a little bit of a minor clash, and it's always with the marketing people, never with the basketball people. You're at practice, often you're on the road, you're with the team, they get to know you, they know who you are, what you're doing, 
and players appreciate you showing your face. We don't criticize very often. And we do when we do, it's not harsh. It would be, uh, there are ways to present negative. Uh, for example, what if I said, <clears throat> uh, Chris Duarte is shooting just 29% from the floor over the last five games. That's an interesting number because it's very poor. It's pointing out that he's shooting poorly. I could take that same circumstance and say, man, Chris Duarte has been just awful. Mm. I would never do that. There are ways to present negativity because the fan needs to, needs a perspective. Boy, Duarte is struggling. I wonder. And then Mark says he's shooting 29. Oh, interesting. Uh, and our franchise has been so good with that. I think marketing sometimes, which marketing is sales. Salespeople to me are aliens. Uh, I, I could never do sales when I was young and coming up through the ranks. Uh, I started doing high school games and then junior college games, and I was a disc jockey. And one of the things that was common in radio back in those days was if you were the high school broadcaster, you often had to sell the ads yourself. And I turned down jobs because I didn't want to sell advertising because A, I knew I would be horrible at it. And B, I just didn't want to do it. So I appreciate our sales types and our marketing types. They're so critical to what we do and they're great. But often salespeople don't see the world the same way I do. And so every once in a while, there's a, why are, why are you saying this about our team? But I've been around long enough and I, and I try to show them respect. They show me respect. It's the same in any workplace. Occasionally, you're going to have a difference of opinion. It's not whether you have the difference of opinion or not. It's how you resolve it. Do you treat the other person with respect? Do you hear what they have to say? And sometimes when they bring stuff to me, I say, ah, good point. I hadn't thought of that. I'll keep that in mind next time. I'm not always right, not at all. But there's a certain way I want to do it, and they know that. Uh, but sometimes we clash. have to ask, Mark, about the culture of the franchise of, of the Pacers, as well as the culture of the fanhood out there, as there, there may be nobody better to ask about this. It, it seems to me from the outside looking in, uh, granted, I, you know, I'm a podcaster from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I've loved basketball my whole life, but um, it, it seems to me that the Pacers have always been a really, really stable and consistently high-performing franchise. Um, can you just give us a sense of like the culture out there, what has made them so successful and also the support that they have from the fans out there? I think that's a very accurate representation. Mm. Um, we haven't had success lately. You know, we haven't made the playoffs in the last couple of years. Um, you know, we've, we've been in the conference finals, I think eight times in the last 25 years, you know, most teams would be thrilled to go once every three years. Absolutely. Uh, we've been to the NBA finals once, uh, we have great owners. Our owners are the longest current running owners in the league. They've owned the team for almost 40 years and they're fantastic. And they hire good people. I mentioned Donnie Walsh earlier. I've been here 34 seasons. We've had three guys run the basketball operation, Donnie. Larry Bird and Kevin Pritchard. That's almost unheard of, that kind of continuity. Uh, generally speaking, we don't fire coaches in knee-jerk fashion. Um, you know, we've had our misfires like every franchise does. Uh, and we've made some bad draft choices and some poor trades. And by the way, so have the other 29 teams. That's just a constant. 
Uh, and this is such a vague way to describe it that it almost sounds cliche, but they try to do things the right way. Um, what does that actually mean? That's open to interpretation. Now we've had our rough stretches. We had a, a stretch back, um, the Pacers got to the NBA finals in 2000, and then they had uh, some more good teams, one of which won 61 games, and then the brawl happened. And after that, we hit a rough patch where we had players getting into trouble um, and not representing themselves or the franchise very well. That was a, a rough uh, segment of, I think, about three years, maybe. And then they got the ship back on track. They try to bring in good guys. They try to bring in professionals. But it's a crapshoot. You don't really know somebody to get them here. Um, but they have a philosophy, and it's oh, we want good people that are good players. Now, they've taken some questionable people. They gave Ron Artest a lot of rope when they probably shouldn't have because he was a really talented player. Mm -hmm. um, and they felt it was worth taking a chance on. And he was on that 61-win team and was on one of the reasons they won 61 games. Very good player who had issues that he later addressed. So, no, they're not perfect, and lately they've struggled. But the continuity, I think, has been very important. And as far as the fans, we're a small market. Uh, and so we don't have the volume that some teams do. We're almost always in the bottom five or six in attendance. But the fans, we, the loyal fans, we do have our top shelf. Uh, our market is small, and so sometimes we struggle. Uh, but the fans that we do have are terrific. Thanks, Mark, so much for joining the show. Really appreciate it. Can you let our viewers and listeners know where they can find you on social media? And then any others you want our listeners to know for the upcoming season as well? Well, you can find me on uh, Twitter. I'm at, uh, at Mark underscore J underscore Boyle. I'm on Instagram, but I don't happen to know what the address is. Uh, just type in Mark Boyle. You can probably find me if you're that interested. Uh, I would like fans to know, um, as when I came into the NBA, guys, uh, our team was fairly typical. Uh, we put 20 to 25 games on television a year. Now, virtually every game is on television, so radio has declined in importance. It still is important. But it's, it's not the lead dog like it used to be. And so we appreciate those finding us. We have a, a statewide network of, I think, 18 or 20 stations. Uh, you can find us on Sirius XM. Uh, the NBA League Pass also offers Audio League Pass. I think it's $5 a year or something. Uh, and I would encourage fans to listen to our games. I'm older than, uh, I'm older than the generation that's grown up with everything on television. And so I, I, I still love radio. When I'm in my car, I listen to other teams' broadcasts. Um, as you said earlier, uh, guys, radio is a more intimate connection. You're in your car driving at night or you're at work delivering pizzas or you're at a job where you can't get to a television. We're there for you every single night. Even though every game is on television, especially if you're with a really good team, your broadcasters aren't there every game. It's the network guys a lot of the time. And so you miss that local touch. And I would just like to encourage fans to find us when you can. We appreciate the support. Uh, we try to put a good product out there, uh, and we're grateful for anyone that listens. Appreciate it, Mark. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I enjoyed it.